0: We are, um, are going to be in the book of Acts this morning. We're going to start a um, new series, kind of making our way through uh, the book of Acts. You can open up there. Um, we're going to read just the first two verses to get us started. I'll read it, pray, although today is going to largely be overview of some things um, but I'd love for you to open up to Acts 1, verses 1 through 2. So in the New Testament, if you're somewhat new to the Bible, uh, you've got um, the Gospels, the four Gospels there in the, in the beginning of the New Testament, and then the next book you'll see is the book of Acts, uh, after the Gospel of John. So uh, feel free to grab a Bible on the back table if you need one, or pull up uh, your Bible app and get to Acts 1, 1 and 2. Let's read it. Pray. Pray. And then we'll get moving for this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing now, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's pray. Jesus, after your resurrection, after your ascension, you were just getting started. (laughs) In one sense, like you cry from the cross, it is finished. One sense, your work is complete, you made atonement for the sins of the world. You open the gates of paradise for thieves, criminals, murderers, sinners like us. But in another sense, man, your work was just beginning. And we were a testament to that this morning. We're here because when you left, you didn't leave. You poured out your spirit upon your people. God, you moved in and through them in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You brought the gospel to us. But we wanna be a church shaped by the gospel, a church shaped by your word. God, we want your spirit to have Uh, his way with us in the way that he had his way with the early church in the book of Acts. So God, we pray as we come now to a new book and a new series together, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would do a new thing in our midst. I pray that we'd come with open eyes, open hearts, open minds. God, that you'd shape us in the direction of your image. God, that you make this church and make each of these people here what you want us to be. So have your way, we pray. In your name, amen. amen. Um, all right, so this morning we are, um, as I've said, starting a new series in the, in the book of Acts, which I'm excited about. If you've been with us for a little while, you know that, um, gosh, for a number of years, uh, I went through the Gospel of Luke, and we um, just more recently um, went through the book of Habakkuk, the minor prophet there in the Old Testament, and then we kind of been making our way through some one-off sermons with uh, holidays, Christmas stuff, that sort of a thing. Now, uh, as I was kind of praying about where we would venture next, The book of Acts is what kept coming to my mind and my heart. And uh, as I spoke with others, I just felt confirmed in that. And I've been telling you that this is where we're going, and we finally are here. The book of Acts is essentially the companion volume to the Gospel of Luke. All right? It's like his, uh, it kind of dovetails into the Gospel of Luke, and in a sense is a continuation of uh, the story. Uh, but I'll show you a little bit more of that later. That's one of the reasons why, though, I was uh, drawn to this book in particular. In fact, as interesting. I was reading through some uh, introductory, you know, works on the book of Acts, stuff I'd been given in seminary and things. And I saw a little note I had made in the margins, forgotten about to this point. But there it was in big red letters. Man, in my first pastorate, I sure hope to be able to teach Luke and Acts. I was like, oh. Well, that's, that's cool because here I am in my first pastorate after seminary teaching Luke and now the book of Acts. Um, it's amazing stuff. I was just excited about the way these books collide and what uh, the potential that's there for the church to be shaped uh, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now, those of you that were with us for Luke uh, are probably going, oh boy. Uh, You you remember how long that was? Now I hope you remember it with fondness, but I I recognize that some of us may remember it with you know weariness and dread, maybe a little nausea, upset stomach, like oh that was five six years, that was 24 chapters, Acts is 28 chapters. You're doing the math, going what? I don't even know I'm going to be alive by the time this series is done. Well, do not fear. Got a few reasons why you shouldn't fear here. For one thing. God's word is always worthy of our attention, right? It's always worthy, whether we we give it a few minutes or we give it a few years, then there's always going to be riches for us to find as we dig in his word, wherever we are, right? So that's, Uh, Reason number one, not to fear. Another thing, hey listen, the book of Acts, though it has more chapters than the gospel of Luke, is actually a little bit shorter when it comes to kind of word for word, uh, word by word analysis. Uh, Not by much. Uh, The gospel of Luke is the first longest book in the New Testament and the book of Acts is the second. So Uh, But nonetheless, it's a little shorter, so you're welcome. Um, Another thing, though, that uh, really, I think, gets me excited about this book, and hopefully you as well, is that the book of, of Acts deals with such an array of different subjects. So we're just not going to be hitting the same thing week after week. Uh it's it's going to deal with stuff. We as we kind of read along, we're going to deal with stuff like, you know, the, the Pentecost, the, the falling of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, church leadership, conflict resolution, uh church and culture, evangelism, missions, apologetics, uh all sorts of things are going to come out as we get into uh this book. Of course, Um, all of that uh, will entail a deeper and and richer understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. But then finally, um, just in case you're still worried, uh, the book of Acts does neatly divide into two, all right? So Acts 1, chapters 1 through 12, kind of largely deal with uh, Peter's ministry in and around Judea, and then 13 through 28 deal with Paul's ministry as he kind of brings the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so if we kind of make our way through, and I look at you guys week by week, and you're starting to get weary, uh, we may, if God so leads, uh, you know, divide into two, maybe take a break, do something else for a little bit, then come back um, for some more uh, punishment. Um, but no, I don't know for sure. We'll see. Uh, But I just throw that out there just in in case that helps you. Um, Now, bottom line is this. I want to take us through Acts because I think there's a lot here that uh, God is going to want to use to shape us, to reform us, to develop us as followers of Jesus and as a church. That's ultimately what the book is about. Now, I said the book of Acts is meant to be kind of read alongside and kind of dovetail into the the gospel of Luke. It's his companion volume, and I want to kind of show you where I get that idea. Um, It's actually uh, something that becomes plain in the very first verses of the book that we just read. Here's a few things I would point out for you. First, he calls the gospel, uh, if you look at that uh, verse one again, he calls the gospel his first book. All right. He says, Hey, in my first book, here's what I did, uh, clearly implying this is now his second book, it would seem. But then, furthermore, Luke dedicates this now second work to the very same individual he dedicated the first one to. If you uh, look back at Luke uh, 1, verse 3, you see this guy Theophilus shows up again. Um, And chances are he was maybe the patron of uh, the guy who financially kind of foot the bill for this uh, immense project that Luke was undertaking to look at Jesus's life and ministry and then how that played out in the early church. So it's dedicated to the same guy. But then, of course, he signals also in these opening verses as well that there is, in one sense, continuity in content that this is really a continuation of the story. And that's what he's implying, I think, there in verse one when he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He goes on from there, you could miss it if you just read quickly, but the inference, the implication by saying, in the first book I dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach, Uh, what we're supposed to draw from that is now here in the second book he is going to deal with what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Only now it's by way of his Holy Spirit in and through the church, you and me. It's amazing. And this is where I start to get the sense that this book is so important for us uh, today. Because it starts to show us, man, as Christians, as disciples, as the church, who who are we? It starts to answer that question about who we are, where we've come from, you know, what we're supposed to be all about, where we're supposed to be headed, what, what's, you know, what sort of trajectory are we supposed to be on? All that stuff comes out in this book. It's amazing. D.A. Carson and Douglas Moo, biblical scholars, they say this, perhaps Luke's most fundamental purpose in the book of Acts is to help Christians answer the question, who are we? who are we? Help help us deal with our identity. Help us deal with our purpose. Help us deal with what are we supposed to look like? That's what this book is intended to answer and accomplish. So it's one thing to kind of read the gospel and see what Jesus accomplished for us in his earthly ministry. We watch Jesus, we go, out, wow, what an amazing savior we have. But then you turn to the book of Acts and now you start to see what Jesus intends to accomplish in and through us. What he intends to make us, what he's renewed us to be, what he's you know, redeeming us to be as a people. The book of Acts is in essence kind of the gospel gaining traction in the hearts and lives of a people. So they can't just go, oh, I love the gospel. So nice. Look at how, what Jesus did for me without it getting real in our own lives. We go, oh my goodness, this has implications for me. He's shaping me into that image. He's setting me on that mission. He's transforming my life You know, in a sense, it's almost as if, you know, in his first book, Luke is kind of gathering the raw material of the gospel, if you will, the, the, the wood and the sticks, and he's kind of putting them together and preparing it. But then in the book of Acts, it's like the spark of the Holy Spirit lights that thing on fire. And we realize, oh my goodness, you know, the implications for us and what he intends to do with you and me. This is why one author writes, Acts is the story of the Spirit of God raging like an out-of-control forest fire. We know all about that in California. In a people who have been consumed with what consumes him. It's like, man, we see it in Jesus, and then we see it in a people, in his people. And those who claim to be Christians, those who are following after him, the fire consumed with what consumes him. So what this means is that as we make our way through the book, man, we're going to be greatly encouraged, no doubt about it, but we're also going to be deeply challenged. We're also going to be deeply challenged because as we read about, you know, what God is intending the church to be, his followers to be, what we should be looking like, the bottom line is we're going to go, "Uh, I don't know if I line up. I where am I in this?" Like we're going to see how we don't necessarily match up. And I'll tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to rationalize these things away. We're not going to make excuses for ourselves. Of course, there's some interpretive moves we need to make. We're not everything that the apostles or early church do is necessarily, you know, supposed to be, you know, taken uh, wholesale by us here today. But by and large, man, we're going to have to wrestle with those questions and we're not just going to take the easy way out, make some hermeneutical maneuvers and kind of excuse ourselves from this kind of lifestyle or this passionate pursuit, the advance of the gospel, that sort of a thing. What we will do, probably, what we should do when we see this misalignment is repent. We're going to cry out for Jesus' help, and I pray, and we're going to grow. We're going to grow. Um, One of the images or kind of analogies I'd give for this sort of a thing, and sorry, the intro this morning is a little bit longer as we're just kind of getting ready to to dive into the book, but I want you to, to, to feel this with me and kind of think about this. Um, you know, with inflation these days and the state of the economy, right, we're, I mean, everyone's feeling the pinch in one way or another. Everyone's trying to kind of cinch the belt, you know, trim the fat, that sort of a thing, uh, see if we can kind of get through it. What, what, what needs to change? What has to go, right? And even businesses are doing this sort of a thing. So I don't wonder if you've noticed it, but even some of my, you know, I, this past week, man, uh, I was blown away, and you kind of see the effects of, of people having to, to tighten the belt. Um, but uh, so, you know, we always go to Pizza My Heart when we're going to do like a family movie night or whatever. We get slices of pizza for all the kids and for us. And um, I'll usually get slices of the day or something like that. And they tell me on the phone, the guy's like, yeah, we're not doing slices of the day anymore. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, well, we, you know, we're having to kind of make adjustments. Uh, we can't offer that right now. I was like, oh, okay, all right, sure, no problem. Um, but then I, I take my son the next day to uh, the the mall. Uh, oh, that's a dangerous thing in and of itself. I don't, I don't belong there. Uh, but I had to make some returns and I'm going, right? And I'm like, all right, let's, let's have some fun. Let's get a pretzel, right? So I, I never go to the mall, but when I did as a kid, we'd get like Wetzel pretzel or whatever. I go in there and they're like, yeah, uh, we actually don't have any hot, pre- you know, the, the case is empty. I'm like, oh, it's like, yeah, it's all now made to order, uh, because we were wasting too much product. So it's going to be 20 minutes. And I was like, I look at them like, do you still sell pretzels there? Like, do people wait 20 minutes for a pretzel? Like, I'll just go to that spot over there. Luckily, we had some things to do, right? So, okay, I'll put in my order. I'll come back 20 minutes. And we'll get, I mean, it was, it was a hot, fresh pretzel, so that's nice. But nonetheless, you see him cinching the belt down, like figuring out what can we do. And what I'm trying to say, the analogy for me with this is, man, as we read the book of Acts, we are going to have to face the question, okay, listen, uh, things are going to have to change. There's maybe some fat that's been accumulating in my spiritual life that's going to have to go. Like, there's stuff that's going to need to be trimmed, there's stuff that's going to need to be changed. I'm not going to try to let us get off the hook as we read this book. We need to let it, we need to see ourselves in the mirror of Scripture, even when what we see looking back is ugly. Okay, what needs to change? How do we need to grow? God help us. Now, um, there are places where the analogy kind of breaks down because, you know, to not offer slices of the day, not not have, you know, hot pretzels ready. I mean, that's not necessarily the fat for these companies. That's kind of like cutting into the muscle. Oh, they're just trying to survive. They're getting rid of good things. The book of Acts is going to call us to get rid of the fat, the stuff we don't need, the stuff that's clinging to our spiritual life that shouldn't be there. And when we get rid of it, it's not just like getting rid of a good thing to try to make it through so we can add it back later. We're getting rid of that so that God can add something new, so that God can give us something more, something better, so that we can maybe come more alive than we've ever been, taste a little bit more of his life and joy than maybe we ever have. I just read um, in the Psalms yesterday from my devotions, and you know, in Psalm 81, God is calling a wayward people back to himself, and it's awesome. Listen to what he says. He says, Psalm 81, verse 13, "'Oh, that my people would listen to me, "'that Israel would walk in my ways.'" I want you to change. I want you to grow. But then here's what he says in verse 16. You know, what's the effect of such obedience? Why is he calling them to listen to him? He says, listen, then I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Like, I want you to get rid of the fat and the stuff and to make the changes, not because I want to leave you hungry, right? Like, so that you don't get your slice of the day and you don't get your pretzel and you just go home with an empty stomach. That's not what it's about. It's so that I can feed you, so that I can truly satisfy you as you come into who I've redeemed you to be, who I'm renewing you to be, as you step into that and let go of other stuff, cinch the belt a bit, man, you're going to come alive. You're gonna come alive. I'll give you honey from the rock, I'll satisfy you in ways perhaps you didn't even know possible. So what I wanna do this morning is maybe a little bit different than what I'll be doing in weeks to come. I'm a verse by verse guy. You guys know that. I like to just kind of sink my teeth into the bone of Scripture, if you will, and just go verse by verse. But um, this morning, what we're going to do is kind of get up above. You know, I like to be in the trees, in the dirt of the grammar and the and the verbiage. But we're going to kind of fly up above things this morning, get a view for uh, the view of the landscape uh, as a whole. Um, when I was when I was in uh, the Rocky Mountains for a summer. My buddy and I, we would just go every single weekend we could, um, you know, backpacking through the Rocky Mountain National Park there, you know, kind of orienteering and whatnot, not on paths, but just kind of like, okay, let's go, right? And one of the things you have to do if you're going to enjoy your time in the woods is before you go, you got to get that topo map out. You got to know where you're headed and you see how that's going to line up with your, you know, compass and all this. Otherwise you get into the thick of it and you don't, You're not so sure, and it's a little frightening out there. Um, We'd come across so many different, you know, mountain lion, kill piles, everything else. So you want to know where you're headed, right? And that's kind of what we're doing this morning. I want to give us an aerial view, the book of Acts, um, so we can kind of enjoy the journey when we get down in the dirt and uh, make our way through the woods, maybe uh, beginning next week. Um, so what we're going to do, I'm going to unpack the title, actually, that I've given to this sermon series. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to unpack the sermon series title uh, because I, I gave it that title because I, I f- essentially feel like that sums up the book as a whole, all right? So the series title is this, Acts, Faith, Community, and Mission, Here, There, and Everywhere. Faith, Community, and Mission, Here, There, and and everywhere. We're going to divide that into the two parts. You can see it there. We'll spend great majority of our time on that first part, and then we'll uh, close things up with the second one, if no one's thrown stones at me by then. So first, faith, uh, community, and mission. Let's consider that. Um, If you've been around Mercy Hill for any time at all, hopefully those words already kind of ring familiar. Uh, because they are what we have identified as our core values here as a church. Faith, community, and mission. It's, you know, kind of what we believe in scripture. God is saying we as a church should be all about. Those three things in particular. And one of the places through the years we've turned in scripture to develop and support this idea is, you know, the book of Acts. Uh, Actually, and so it should come as no surprise that when I'm trying to kind of sum up what is going on in the early church, who is the church as God created, redeemed it to be, man, we point out these three things. We see them rise to the surface faith, community, and mission. And what I want to do here is quickly define them for us. And then give you some examples through the book of Acts. Though, honestly, the entire book, on every page, you'll see these three in play. So value number one, faith. Um, When we talk about faith, it's essentially just shorthand for your relationship with God. All right? Just shorthand for your relationship with God. The reality is that, um, you know, we stiff-armed God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we don't deserve his affection, we don't deserve his love, we don't deserve his favor, we deserve his wrath, right? And Jesus has taken that wrath upon himself. Now, on the cross, God the Father is pouring out his wrath upon his son because the son is carrying our sin The Son is taking our sin, and in that he also takes our judgment. And so we know, man, the way we now get back to God is through the Son, by faith in the Son and his work on the cross on our behalf. He makes a way. Come back to the Father, come back into the fold, come back to God. So faith is the movement upwards towards God. And this is why as a church, hopefully it's obvious, as we try to live into these values, I mean, we, we give priority to things like prayer. I mean, we just had a week of prayer. where We're just seeking God in this relationship with him. That's why we give priority to the preaching of God's word, the studying of his word, all of these things. I mean, because Paul would elsewhere say, as many of you are probably familiar, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as you hear the words of God, you you grow in your relationship with him. You start to abide more and more and and, and the the intimacy deepens. It's faith. Value number two is um, community. And when we talk about community, it's essentially just shorthand for our relationship with one another in the church. So you got relationship with God, now relationship with one another in church. The church. And um, one of the things we need to realize, and we talk about often here, is that when we break off from God in our sin, we simultaneously, you can't have one without the other, we simultaneously break off from our relationships with other people. When this breaks down, this breaks down with it. And so, for example, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, man, they might have thought, we turn on God, we're going to be partners in crime now, like we're going to be closer than ever, you and me, babe, riding off into the sunset, who needs God, right? But listen, the moment they turn on God, it's just, it's, it's only a few more moments till they turn on one another, so God comes and asks Adam to give account for what happened, he goes, the lady you gave me, she made me do it. How quick did it take him to throw her under the bus to save his own back, his own neck, Right? and it's been happening that way ever since. We leave God, we break relationship with him, our relationships with one another get broken as well. Anyone in here experiencing broken relationships? I know we all are in one way or another, and God in Christ has come to bring reconciliation, come to restore us, I mean, the cross set at the center of a people now, uh, God is, 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 is renewing, he's breaking down barriers that once divided and he's reconciling and bringing people together. So community is the movement inwards towards other people in particular in the church. And this is why, you know, here at Mercy Hill, we make high priority of of our gatherings. So it's not just kind of like, hey, I mean, we do live stream out of necessity because of some of the things that have happened, but we've wrestled But do we even keep that? Because we got to be here together or we are not where the church uh, should be as Jesus created and redeemed it to be because we were designed for relationship. And we have renewed, reconciled relationships that grow deeper and deeper as we spend time with one another, right? so we prioritize the Sunday gatherings, prioritize and call people into home groups and DNA groups and that sort of a thing. So you should see community at play here, I hope. Value number three is this idea of mission. And of course, when we talk about mission, it's essentially just shorthand for the greater purpose from God that we are to kind of lean into in this place that he has put us. It's this idea that, man, you're here for more than just yourself, and kind of getting that job of your dreams or that girl or boy of your dreams and that house of your dreams and da, da 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 right? Like we can just kind of live on mission, if you will, for ourselves. And that's kind of the way our sinful nature goes, right? And so you saw that with, with Adam and Eve as well. And as it kind of spirals out from the garden and it kind of goes from there, it's like, man, we were supposed to live for God's glory and the good of others. And instead it just turns into my glory and my good. Right, and it plays out. Um, there's a it was interesting thing somebody shared in my home group last uh, week, where she was talking about how uh, her her parents actually came to Christ um, way late in life, after kind of uh, retiring and all of this, and actually the impetus, the thing that led to their conversion was kind of the letdown of retirement. Because here's kind of how it played out, at least as, as, as she kind of explained it. Uh, parents are going, man, and, and some of you are maybe in that place, man, once I can retire, once I, I mean, I'm working to get to that place where I'm finally free, I don't got some tyrant over me telling me I got to work, I don't got, you know, I got enough of a nest egg, I can kind of go and do whatever I want. Once I get to retirement, I'll be satisfied, I'll have what I need, Right? And so they finally get there. You can go on vacations when you want. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Everything seems good for about a year. And then the letdown sets in. Then the depression sets in. Like, oh, like this is it? This is what we were, our whole lives have been moving towards this moment? Like, yippee, we can go to Florida again if we want. Okay. Like I can go play another round of golf. This is it. And I guess she was saying this is very common among re- retirees where you kind of put all your hope in that you get there and there's this letdown. And why is there this letdown? Cuz you were made for more than just living for your own luxury, living for your own comforts, living for your own pleasures. You were made to live for God and for his glory and for the good of others. And when you cut yourself off from that purpose, you kind of your life becomes two dimensional. And so Jesus restores us to that. Jesus comes and calls us into something so much greater, to be a part of something so much bigger and invigorates the soul. Life gets three dimensional again, color comes back into your relationships and your life because you're not just living for you. So mission is the movement outwards towards the city and the world that doesn't know Christ. And this is why, hopefully as well, you can tell here at Mercy Hill, we try to put an emphasis on evangelism and missions. And and not just kind of getting insular, thinking about ourselves and our little time with Jesus, which is great. But we're thinking about the city and the world that doesn't know him as well. Now... All these things lost in Adam, restored in Jesus, who scriptures would call maybe the second or last Adam. And this is why when we start to see this new church being formed, or this new community being formed in the early church there, this redeemed community uh, in Jesus, and we start to see faith, community, and mission uh, take the foreground he starts developing again, the relationship with God, the relationship with one another, and the relationship with the city and the place that he's put us, the mission. So I just wanna show you now, give you some examples uh, how this plays out in the book. Uh, I think I have three. I'll have to keep my eye on the time, see if I can do that um, and actually get through them. But if I can't, uh, there's um, my, my manuscript's online, you can check it out. Example number one in the book of Acts is the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost. We'll just start kind of right near the beginning. Just kind of show you uh, how this plays out. So um, this is uh, Acts 2, 1 through 41. The first large portion of Acts 2 Uh, to this point. Uh, Jesus has uh, already kind of uh, shown up to his disciples after his resurrection. He's ministered to them. He's instructed them. He's ascended uh, to the Father. And one of his last instructions, one of the last things he said is, hey guys, listen, I know you're gonna be maybe antsy to go off and kind of get your hands dirty and minister, but I want you to wait. I want you to wait. I'm gonna pour out the Spirit, my Spirit, upon you. I'm gonna empower you for the work I'm calling you to do. Don't do it in your own strength. Peter, we already tried that, right? We already tried that, how'd that go? Okay, wait for me. I'm gonna pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. Now, so here's the faith component that I'd bring out. I mean, they're there and they're waiting. They're hanging on his word. We get to Acts, you know, later parts of Acts 1 and Acts 2, and they're waiting on him. They are trusting in their Savior. They're not afraid and cowering behind locked doors like we saw at the end of the Gospels. Ah! No, they're just waiting confidently. They know that that their Savior is alive. They know he's going to equip them. They have that relational bond with him. And it would seem that they're not just waiting on him, they're praying, Right? So we see in other places like Acts 1.14 that they, when they were gathered together they devoted themselves to prayer. They were calling out upon him, trusting in him. It's faith. It's that upward component we're talking about at work here in this story. But then we go on to read Acts 2.1-11. You can read this with me if you'd like. When the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place. And suddenly... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. I forgot to practice the pronunciations of these places. (laughs) (laughs) Fake it till you make it. Uh, We hear them telling in our own language, I'm sorry, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, what's happening here? Well, if I could just kind of sum it up, it seems to me that the faith of the early church is starting to shift towards uh, community at this point. All right. And here's why I say that the spirit falls and he gives uh, the disciples utterance. They're, they're speaking, they're praising God. They're speaking of the glory of God, but not in their own language, in the language of the nations, and these other Jews there in Jerusalem could understand it. This wasn't just random angelic talk or something like that, which may or may not happen, as we'll kind of look at maybe later in, in the book of Acts. But this was, th- these were languages, the languages of the nations. There's a purpose behind this. And the Jews who had been kind of uh, cast out into uh, the nations in the diaspora via the exile and other things, man, they understood these languages. They understood what they were saying. They could hear uh, the the praising of God that was happening in in, in the language of the nations. You say, well, what's the point of that? Well, I think it's actually quite simple. God is bringing together a new people in Jesus composed of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's forming a redeemed and renewed community. That's what's being pictured here. If in Babel, if you remember the story, I think it's Genesis 11, uh, God ended up, because of the proud hearts of men, he, he ended up uh, confusing the language of the people, and that ended up causing them to disperse and create what became the nations of the world. Man, we fell apart because of our sin and moved away from one another, but in Jesus now we see all of a sudden that God is bringing us back together and the languages of the nations are understood, as it were, and Jesus is fluent in them, and the church becomes fluent in them, and the people will be formed from every uh, different uh, place and people. That's incredible. But what about mission, you say? So there's faith, and there's this idea of community, God bringing us together as one. Where is mission? Well, that's where the story goes next. So, The people, a lot that were around hearing this, seeing these sorts of things, begin to ask, you know, what is the meaning of all this? What in the world is happening? These guys, it's like 9 a.m. and they're already drunk. This is crazy. Must have had a rager the night before. Well, Peter now filled with the spirit, not in his own strength, mind you, but now in the spirit of Christ, in the strength of Christ, Peter is the first to speak. And he preaches the gospel, the good news to these people who are wondering what is going on. And he talks to them about what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said. And the people are cut to the heart. They're hearing, they're hanging on every word. And they ask him, what should we do? And he says this in verse 38 of Acts 2 here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And we're told in verse 41, it's amazing, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. So you see the gift of forgiveness and salvation, the spirit of God, it wasn't just for Peter. It wasn't just for the early little, you know, fledgling group of disciples. It was for anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord, anyone whom the Lord could call or would call to himself. 3,000 coming in which as we'll see later on in the book of Acts creates a number of problems in and of itself, but nonetheless, amazing. Now, let me give you example number two of this kind of working out faith, community, and mission. Because the image just continues, uh, or the story really just kind of continues on from there. And we watch as these, uh, these core values kind of begin again and, and ripple out in this 3,000 now. It started in the 120. Here we go now with the 3,000 in this budding New Testament church. So look at Acts 2, 42 to 47, and they devoted themselves. Here's what these 3,000 who were just added are going to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. It's an incredible picture we're given. And there are numerous times where we're told this sort of thing is happening in this early group of believers. And you might, if you were listening carefully or reading carefully, say, okay, that sounds like faith and community. They're talking about commitment to uh, the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. I hear faith in there. I hear community in there. But Nick, I don't see any mission. Well, if you noticed, I pulled up short and verse 47 actually finishes this way. If you want to see mission, all you have to do is keep reading. Luke goes on after describing their committed faith and profound sense of community, and he adds this note, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I love this, because what we see is these three values always go together. They always go together, faith, community, and mission. You can never really separate. It's almost kind of like an ecosystem where when you have them all, uh, then you have them all. But if you remove one, you have none. At least not as God intended. And this is what I want us to realize kind of drawing something out from Acts 2 here. If in our efforts to be a missional church, We want that mission, right? We want to add day by day, you know, people to the fold. We want to be, you know, we want to reach people for Jesus. If we want to be a missional church, um, uh, but if in our efforts to do that, we cut ourselves off from either faith or community, we shall not be truly missional at all. At least not in the sense that Jesus would uh, intend us to be. So give you an example. Doesn't take much to imagine a church, or an individual Christian, but let's just say a church at this point, um, a church that in the name of reaching the unbelieving, in the name of reaching people outside of the church for Jesus, um, they actually start to kind of uh, downplay certain doctrines. They actually start to cut themselves off from the apostles' teaching, as it were. Right, this is happening all over with the mainline denominations and things, but every single church feels the pinch, and especially, man, of all places here in the Bay Area, right? And so, for example, proclaiming Jesus is the only way, the one way of salvation. And that's not going to sit well in a pluralistic society, in a secular culture like ours where we want tolerance and all of these things. And we're here proclaiming, listen, there, like, like we'll see in the book of Acts, there is only one name under heaven by which man can be saved. One name. Now our culture here is that grates on their ears. And so we maybe go, man, I don't wanna talk about hell. I don't wanna talk about wrath. I don't wanna talk about Jesus as the one way. We'll talk about his love for all and all that sort of thing, but we'll just kinda put that you know, in the basement where we put the stuff that you know, just collects dust because we wanna reach people. And if we're unpopular, if, if, if it's not palatable to our culture, we wanna, we wanna be missional, right? But you see what happens when we do that, right? You just create a different species of unbelief and ungodliness. You're not actually reaching people for Jesus, you're reaching people with something else. And the same goes with, you know, we feel the heat these days, especially in the news and all around our culture with the biblical sexual ethic. You go, "Man, I can't I can't toe the line for the biblical sexual ethic and still reach the lost in my city." They just immediately shut down. They hate Christianity. They hate me. The stones start flying. I don't want to do it. Can't we just go back to the Greek and Hebrew massage the text a little bit and make it mean something else? You see the tendency? In the name of missional, kind of, we want to reach. But again, when we do that, we're not reaching people with Jesus anymore. It's kind of like what Jesus would say to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. and When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And Jesus just says it. Like we go off with our own doctrines and our own agendas and our own egos or whatever it is and it doesn't work. You cut mission off from faith and you don't have mission anymore, and you certainly don't have faith. The same thing could go, I mean, we could talk about, you know, when you sacrifice community for the sake of mission, right? But it doesn't take much to imagine there either. The idea of like saying, Hey, we need to be missional. We don't got time to hang out with one another. You guys are already saved. You guys already know Jesus. What are we doing in here? We need to get out, right? And that's true to a point, right? But what we can forget is, man, when we go out on mission, we're inviting people into a family, And if the family's dysfunctional, what does it say about the father? And the things we see in Acts 2, man, is they they saw the community. They saw the faith. They saw the way it played out in the community. And they were given favor with the people around. And they were added uh, day by day more and more as they saw, what what is this? God is doing something awesome. Are we jacked up sinners in this place? Yes and amen, right? But at the same time, there's community that's growing around the gospel. There's forgiveness There's resources for reconciliation and mercy here, should be kindness here, that you're just not gonna get other places. And we can't cut ourselves off from that in the name of mission, right? Um, Last example I'd I'd, I'd give you um, from the book of Acts on this, and I'll have to be just real quick, in my notes I had like three pages, I'll just condense it down to a paragraph. Um, The conversion of Saul is amazing on this regard faith community mission playing out in this story Acts eight and uh, chapters eight and nine so Saul um, some of you may or may not know the story forgive me if I have to go fast and it's a little new to you but Saul was just a a, a rigorous uh, persecutor of the church as they were getting started he was a Hebrew of Hebrews he thought this was blasphemy calling a, a man God right and and we can sympathize with that we understand some of the confusion he's thinking he's serving God as he's running in the complete opposite direction and actually opposing him, So he's not only capturing Christians and imprisoning them, he's also putting them to death for what he considers this uh, great blasphemy. And, you know, you could read about this in, in the book of Exodus. It's, it's profound. He's ravaging them. He's hunting them down. And one of the things we know is that, man, as he's in hot pursuit of some believers and things in Damascus or, or wherever, he's, he, he, he's confronted by the risen Christ. Just knocked down on his face, you know, struck blind, and here's the voice of Jesus. And we could say, here's his coming to faith moment, right? Here's faith. Like, get back on God's team, what are you doing persecuting me let's get right and he gets grace first moment in his life and he thought he was so right thought he was so awesome thought he was according to the law blameless and all of a sudden he goes oh my gosh looks down through his blind eyes which is I think a in a sense though real it's also a spiritual metaphor realizes he's filthy I'm a mess anybody been there Thought I was awesome. Thought I was great. God took pains to show me, man, I'm a mess. And then he cleaned me up by way of Jesus' blood. What a beautiful thing. Faith coming back into relationship with God. But the story doesn't stop there for Paul. It's so great. It doesn't stop there. It could have. Like, okay, now we got Paul and, and, and Jesus and God. They're tight. This is good. But it doesn't stop there. It's amazing. So Jesus shows up to a guy in a vision uh, by the name of uh, Ananias. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go. You know, Paul, it's, it's sad. The poor brother can't see. I want you to go pray for him, and he'll receive his sight. And Ananias goes, um, Jesus, that dude's killing all of my family and friends and, and people that follow you. Are you kidding me? I don't want to go. You don't need me. I know who you are. You could do this yourself. He goes, yeah, you're right. I could do it myself. I'm, I'm ad-libbing for Jesus here. Yeah, you're right. I could do it myself, but I want you because I'm trying to get at something. What is it? Community. You see, Paul doesn't need to just be brought back to God. He needs to be brought into the people of God. And they, they were going to keep at arm's length, at arm's length, at arm's length. No, dude, that—that that, we're not going to let that guy. We're not going to trust that guy. God wouldn't. I, I don't think so. He's been murdering folks. Follow the way. But Ananias reluctantly, willingly goes, prays for Paul. Scales fall from his eyes. He's filled with the spirit, the very same spirit that filled the disciples earlier. And they just go, oh, my gosh, he's in the family. God's mercy, bring even him in. Unbelievable. And they where Paul says, glorifying God because of me. It's not just faith and individual, it's community that's developing and growing. I had my boy the other night, he usually asks me deep theological questions right before sleep. <laughs> he knows I'm a sucker for those probably and I'll let him stay up if he asks me good God questions. So he's like, he's like Dad, does, does God really love robbers? And I think for him, robbers is like the epitome of evil or something. And I said, of course he does. And you want to know where I pointed him to to, to make the case for that? To Paul. To Paul. Because Paul would later say, man, God had mercy on me so that I'm the chief of sinners and he had mercy on me so that anyone, however bad they are, could know there's mercy for them too. Right? God welcomes, brings in a murderer makes him one of the the chief apostles, man, the chief sinner to chief apostle. And he never forgot it. It's all of grace, he would say, right? But it's how our community grows as we see these stories and we encourage one another. And maybe you've been there like, I don't belong here. I don't know. Like, just talk to us long enough. We'll share our stories and you'll go, oh, maybe, okay. Maybe this can be home for me too. Maybe Jesus can welcome me too. But, but we know as well that, that uh, Jesus didn't just give uh, Paul, uh, you know, he didn't just restore him to himself or to community. He also uh, gave him a mission. He gave him a mission. And so you see that in Acts um, 26, where uh, Paul is recounting what Jesus said to him. And, and he, he says this in verses 16 to 18. Rise and stand upon your feet. This is Jesus talking to Paul. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So not only does he bring him into relationship with himself and with the church, but then, man, he gives him a mission to go to the Gentiles, to go to the nations, to go to the ends of the earth, and that leads us to the here, there, and everywhere. But just for a moment, before we get there, um, I want you to consider, if this is the stuff we're gonna confront week after week in the book of Acts, just here at the outset, when you consider faith, community, mission, and how it plays out in your own life, where do you most need to grow? What are you struggling with most right now? If this is what Jesus is wanting to you know renew you into and and he he's trying to, to develop and shape you towards where would you say here's where I just, I'm struggling would you say faith maybe it's time with the lord is just hard to come by i'm so busy it's silicon valley nick boss is always knocking on my cell phone what you doing right i don't have time Maybe with regard to that, it's struggling with doubts or straying into sin or making excuses. Maybe you never even bent the knee to Jesus and it's like, ah, you you can tell he's kind of nudging your heart, but you don't want to, and so faith. Or maybe it's community. You're like, ah, again, I'm so busy. Now I get time alone with God in the car as I drive to work or wherever I'm going, but uh, I'm not spending time with God's people. I'm keeping them at arm's distance. Maybe not on purpose, maybe on purpose, right? Maybe because I don't want to deal with the mess of community. Maybe because I don't like some of the people. I'm not just busy, I'm a little bitter, right? Or is it mission? I've been living for myself. Wake up, make that list. Here's my to-do list. Here's my three goals. I'm gonna accomplish this for me today, right? Do we ever in there go, God, what do you have for me? Whatever you want, that's what I want. You know, maybe it's mission. But whatever it is, man, what we need to catch in in the flow from the Gospel of Luke to the book of Acts is Jesus is here to help, that this Holy Spirit is here to help. And when we cry out to him, he's the one who is making us into this. We're not called to be Peters here trying to self-made man ourselves, right? We're not gonna do it. We've seen that's failure, that's not how it happens. It happens as we surrender to him as we cry out for help. So I just encourage you to do that and he'll be here. And open up your heart to Him and ask Him to use this series, however many years it goes on, to trans to transform you, to shape you, and He will. But the last piece, and like I said, you know, we'll just kind of do this real quick, is this here, there, and everywhere. Here, there, and everywhere. Um, in Acts one eight. Um, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. These are kind of the last marching orders, if you will, before he ascends. And uh, he gives what's essentially uh, the thesis statement of the entire book of Acts in that single verse. If you want to know what is the book of Acts about, turn to Acts 1-8, and there it is. That's, the, that's going to set the stage for everything else. I just want to read this and say a few things about it, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Here's what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he says, listen, you're going to testify about me, the cross, the resurrection, Then you're going to do that. You know, this whole faith community mission thing, you're going to do that here, there, and everywhere. You're gonna do it in Jerusalem, you're gonna do it in Judea and Samaria, you're gonna do it uh, to the ends of the earth. You're gonna bring the gospel all over the place. When he moves from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, what you should be seeing is, actually, maybe if your geography isn't, you're not fully, you know, there, you should be seeing kind of concentric circles moving out, ever, ever kind of broadening until the whole world, it would seem, is encompassed in this call. The picture in my mind, if you'll permit it, is almost like um, at the cross there in Jerusalem, Jesus drops a bomb on the place. (laughs) right? Just blows it up. And it's almost like a holy Hiroshima, if you will, where a bomb just drops. And then the mushroom cloud that's released from that bomb starts to rise up and slowly extend over the whole heavens until the globe is covered with this grace. That's the picture, that's the idea, and that's really how the whole book plays out. And we watch as each of those barriers, little by little, is, cr- is crossed. So for example, first they're witnessing around Jerusalem, Acts chapters one through seven. Then because of persecution, they're pushed beyond Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, Acts eight through 12. Then Paul, as he set out on various missionary journeys, and with him we cross the last barrier and we see it go to the ends of the earth. We see the disciples and the gospel go to the ends of the earth. So the whole thing is just marked by this urgency and this going, and of course then the question for us is is that what marks our lives? Is that what marks our church? Do we see an urgency and almost an angst to get the gospel to break barriers in the name of Jesus Christ? Is that where we are? You know, we're, last thing I want to say, I mean, we're an Acts 29 church. You're like, I don't know what that is. Well, turn to Acts 29 and let's find out. You go, oh, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Now, that's where this idea came from. Um, Acts 29, it's just a church planting network with, you know, like minded theology, philosophy of ministry, that sort of a thing. And named it Acts 29, why? Because we're the continuation of this mission of the here, there, and everywhere. The, 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 the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome, the center of the known world. But there are still unreached people in our city, you could say, and unreached peoples all around the world. The gospel is still breaking barriers today. It still needs to break barriers today. And the book of Acts isn't just a story or a memoir of fun adventures that kind of, you know, get us excited before bed or something like that, but have no real relevance to our life. No, the book of Acts is an invitation. Into this way of life, into this grand mission. And to take the gospel and this faith community mission thing here, there, and everywhere. So let's go, right? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that we don't have to rely on our own strength, that the gas in the tank of this engine doesn't come from us. And so if anyone in here is tempted to hear these sorts of things and go, ah, I better come up with the strength to do this. God, I pray that right now, you'd just stop that thought in its tracks. And you'd lead them to the cross. You'd lead us to the cross. The gas in the tank of this engine is the spirit of God that comes to us by way of grace through faith, not by our own works, not by our own pedigree, integrity, our own strength, no. And so we just cry out to you that what you want from us today is that we don't hold back. What you want from us today, Lord, is that we let go of everything, we release our lives to you. You're the potter, we're the clay. Shape us as you will, call us as you will, move us where you will. Here we are. So lead us to that place, Lord, and you'll take it from there. And we give you our hearts, and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that not only saves us, but it changes us, it transforms us. Have your way with us here now. Amen.